creaturely propensity. It's something as old as our origin stories. Eve envied God because she wanted to know what God knew and that led her to eat the apple. Cain envied his brother Abel because Abel's offering to God was recognized and his wasn't. The angel Lucifer wanted to be like God, wanted to be on the same level as God, and that envy led him to be in our myths known as the embodiment of evil. Envy is human, but envy is not only in the human world. Franz de Waal did a study one time with monkeys, and he had a group of monkeys do the same task, and half of them got a better reward and the other half got a lesser reward. And when he asked those monkeys to do the same thing again, the monkeys who had done the lesser, who had gotten the lesser reward refused to work. So envy is just a part of being a creature, just a part of being in this world. But envy doesn't have to rule the day. It doesn't have to be the end of the story. Envy tricks us into thinking we're on our own and, and we have to fight for our rights. And yet, but in the most basic parts of nature, we see that, that envy is not actually even present. Peter Volleben, um, in his book, The Hidden Life of Trees, talks about how the older trees and the stronger trees actually nourish the weaker and the smaller trees in a forest. And in his beautiful novel, The Overstory, Richard Power writes that in the forest, quote, there are no individuals. There aren't even separate species. Everything in the forest is the forest. Competition is not separable from endless flavors of cooperation. Trees fight no more than the, do the leaves on a single tree. It seems most of nature isn't red in tooth and claw after all. Competition is not separable from endless flavors of cooperation. So in the parables that we're going to be looking at in the, in the coming weeks, these are, these are stories Jesus told towards the end of his work on earth as he's moving towards Jerusalem, moving towards his death. There are stories that he told as things are looking dark and dim, and it's looking like things are not gonna go well for him. These stories are, are fascinating um, because they are, they are a little bit dark themselves. And they, they get at our humanity. And I find it interesting that, that as Jesus is moving towards his death, as, as you would think he would be crying for help or, or saying rather desperate things, instead he tells these very dark stories, these, these parables. Now, my theory on parables is that they're meant to get under your skin. And so if a parable doesn't bother you a little bit, you probably aren't reading it carefully enough. There's, there's always something in a parable to make us squirm a little bit. But these parables, you don't have to look so hard. They're pretty hard stories that, that really do help out, make us ask questions of ourselves 
and who we are. Today's story is a tale of envy in Matthew 20. A landowner goes out early to find workers and says to them, I will pay you a denarius, a day's wage for your work. And then every three hours after that, the landowner goes and gets another group of workers. Doesn't tell them what they're gonna be paid, just brings them in to work alongside the ones that were hired a few hours before. And at the end of the day, he instructs his managers to gather everyone together and to begin to pay the last ones hired first. So just remember that, that, that the ones who were hired at the very beginning of the day, the ones who knew they were gonna get a denarius were watching as everyone who had come after them started to get paid. And he started by paying those last workers who had only worked an hour or two or three, paid them a denarius. They agreed upon wage for a full day's of work, full day's work. So you can imagine how they're feeling. You can imagine how you might feel if, if they're getting a denarius, then what am I gonna get? Cause I worked like three or four times harder. So you can, you can see the wheels turning, the little calculators in their head, getting excited about what they're going to get. But in the end, they only got paid what they were promised. And they were naturally surprised and resentful, envious. And the revealing response comes from the landowner. When he said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Do you not agree with, did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. The story ends with the last will be first and the first last, but it, it also begins with that phrase. In the verses just preceding this, the story of this, Jesus uh, says, many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Now, what did those first workers miss? It seems really natural for them to be upset. But there's a lot of questions we could ask, like maybe they were the first ones picked because they were just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Maybe their skin color or their accent or their clothing made them more noticeable and hireable. Maybe they had some privilege or advantage that they didn't consider when they said, this isn't fair. Maybe they forgot that while work is work, not working is work too. Unemployment is detrimental, detrimental to a person's mental, physical, and emotional health. And maybe that deserves some reimbursement as well. Jesus invites them to think bigger than their own personal interests, to go beyond their envy. This story directly confronts our envy which can so quickly lead to resentment. Jesus is inviting his disciples and us to pay attention to our envy, to notice where we begrudge generosity. 
It may lead us to figure out where our lives are, are out of sync with, with the kinship of the kingdom of God. Now, when I start thinking about envy, I see strands of it everywhere. I definitely see it in myself. Just recently, I was talking with a friend who, um, like me, loves to read, and she was recommending all sorts of books to me, um, books of people that I probably really agree with and I'm on the same page with and am aware of, but I had to admit that I hadn't read those books. It's partly because I'm envious of those people. I'm envious that they had the time and the discipline and the marketing to get their books out when I've struggled to write one for years. And that envy was, was a little ugly to see in myself, to notice how I had dismissed entire works of, of art and literature because of my envy. Whose success or possessions do you begrudge? Where do you find that little twinge of, of envy? But envy, I think, goes beyond just our personal stories and our personal grudges and our personal feelings as if we missed out. Envy can also exist on a societal level. A few years ago, Arlie Hochschild, the uh, UC Berkeley professor, wrote a book called Strangers in Their Own Land where she went into the American South and asked them questions about how they saw the world. She was coming in as a, a very progressive, liberal, Berkeley professor who really wanted to know as a sociologist, how are people making meaning of history right now? And what she discovered is that the primary story that seemed to resonate with the folks that she interviewed and got to know over uh, of over several years, is that throughout their life, they had been in a long line to receive the benefits of their society. And they had been waiting patiently, working hard, doing what they were supposed to do. Uh, but then as, as more maybe progressive politicians came into power, as our social norms changed, all of a sudden, other people were cutting in line people of different colors, people from different countries. And they were wondering why that was. And, and that little bit of envy began to become a societal conversation and over time began to build up resentment. Left unchecked and unexamined, envy can lead to resentment. Envy can even lead to a feeling of supremacy. But Jesus invites us in this story into a different ecosystem, into an ecosystem of healing and support and opportunity to, to notice our envy and to not let it grow. Boundaries and hard work and consequences are certainly good things. But we have to balance them with a conversation with our envy and our resentment because envy is so intoxicating and tempting. It makes us feel better about ourselves. It can kind of let us off the hook to take in new people and new circumstances. Envy can become a very, very dangerous form of scapegoating over time, of blaming one person or one group of people so that we are able to deny and 
and not lean into the, the interconnectedness of our world and of each other. Buddhist teacher Pema Chodron says this, the propensity is to feel, to feel sorry for ourselves, the propensity to be jealous, the propensity to get angry, our habitual all too familiar emotional responses are like seeds that we just keep watering and nurturing. Envy is one of those seeds. But every time we pause and stay present, she continues, with the underlying energy, we stop reinforcing these propensities and begin to open ourselves to refreshing new possibilities. The landowner asks, do you begrudge my generosity? Envy is human, but it does not have to rule the day. Maybe even offer your twinges of envy, the places where you think you might be wanting what someone else has. Maybe offer those places a mantra in the words of Jesus. The first will be last and the last will be first. The first will be last and the last will be first. Do you begrudge my generosity? May we follow Jesus beyond our internal storylines of trying to be right or wrong or, on, or winning or losing into storylines of generosity. And may we open ourselves to an ecosystem of grace. Amen.